Well, our first reading this morning is from Ephesians 4 and it's found on page number 1158 and it's uh, from 7 to verse 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles. Thank you for your word and we thank you for the way it encourages us and challenges us and teaches us and also corrects us. Lord, And we pray that all of that might happen this morning in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Pescatarian. Pescatarian is the word that the kid put on his camp form registration in the special diet section. Pescatarian. I don't even know whether it was a a real word or a joke. Uh, I sometimes put down carnivore in that section of registration forms and when it asks for further details, I just write, I only eat meat. But there were no further details and so I had to take it seriously. Pescatarian. I didn't know what it meant. Uh, The word itself sounds annoying. It kind of sounds pesky. But when I looked it up, it has something to do with fish. Now our camp budget didn't stretch far enough to slapping a piece of seared tuna or a bit of grilled swordfish on his plate every meal. So I changed his special diet to vegetarian. (laughs) I thought that'll show him pescatarian. Now, vegetarian, now that's a word that we understand, isn't it? And even if you don't know exactly what vegetarian means, you can tell it's got something to do with vegetables. Maybe it's about growing vegetables. Maybe it's about cooking with vegetables. Maybe it's wearing vegetables like this particular lady who seems to have lost the point. But whatever it is, we know that vegetarian has got something to do with veggies. Here's another word for you, though. Christian. Christian. We call ourselves Christians. But do you often think about what that word actually means? Christian. When you stop to think about it, of course, it's obvious. It must have something to do with Christ, with Jesus, with following him, with being with his people. Vegetarian's got something to do with vegetables. Christian must have something to do with Christ. But it seems that many people are not entirely sure that the word Christian has got anything to do with Christ with Jesus or with his people, at least not day to day. So today we're going to see that to call yourself a Christian means you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, as it turns out, as the Apostle Paul urges us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God and as part of that to offer ourselves to one another in service using the gifts that God has apportioned or given to us. Now, it's our third week in the What If series where we're really trying to envision what our Christian lives, what our church could be like if we just took hold of the promises and the claims of Scripture. If we really narrowed that gap between belief and behavior, between what we say we believe and what we actually do. And particularly today, we're focusing on the area of spiritual gifts and service and ministry We're asking that question, what if we really believed God has given us, us, spiritual gifts? And what if we saw service to one another as an integral part of following Jesus, of being Christian? 
Well, we begin today by hearing how we as Christian people should offer our lives to God as living sacrifices. Uh, Have a look in your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, or up here on the screen. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I look at that sentence there and I think, carnival, plenty of meat there, not much lettuce at all. And uh, the first thing you need to note about that sentence is, whatever we do for God, whatever we do in following Jesus, whatever service we engage in, for one another or for our community can only be in response or in view of God's mercy. Whether we're not yet Christian or Christian, we must understand and remember that whatever we offer Him only works because of what He first offered us when He offered His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, up to death on the cross in our place for our sins to bring us back to God. It just can't work the other way. That somehow we do or we serve or we achieve in order to gain God's mercy. No, we respond in view of God's mercy. But if you have a look closely at that verse, you see clearly that a response is necessary. And so the Apostle Paul urges us, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to Him. So a response is required, and the response God is looking for is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices course you've got to ask yourself the question what does that mean because we use the idea and the word sacrifice quite liberally i sacrificed my chance of scoring the goal by passing it to a teammate she sacrificed her holidays by going to build an orphanage in africa we use that idea of sacrifice often but this idea of a living sacrifice is a much richer idea Because in the olden times, the people of God would bring the very best of their herds and their flocks and their crops, and they would offer them to God on an altar in his temple in Jerusalem. Maybe they would offer a bull or a lamb or a goat or some grain, and it would be sacrificed there on the altar, literally slaughtered in the case of animals right there. It was a deep and profound act of spiritual worship in which they confess their great need for God's forgiveness and salvation and it involved a bringing of their very best before God. So it was costly to them. But the thing was, in each of those cases, whether it was from a herd or a flock or whether it was from a crop, whatever a person would offer was dead, a dead sacrifice. It was a dead bull or a dead lamb or some dead wheat But now you see we are urged not to offer the dead body of a bull or a lamb, but our own bodies to God. In other words, Jesus was the last of the dead sacrifices when he died for our sins once for all. So we no longer offer dead sacrifices to God like animals or grain. We offer living sacrifices to God, our own lives. It really is not the case that as long as you believe somewhere in your brain that Jesus lived and that he died and then he rose again, that's the only response that's required, not at all. You'll notice from the verse, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, all of our life, not just the kind of inner soul or mind part of us, but all of our life is lived as an offering to God. And of course, that is just as much a sacrifice as a dead animal. 
Now, just before we leave this one particular verse to cover the rest, we do need to see that when you offer your whole life for God following Jesus, that is a spiritual act of worship. When you're trying to follow Jesus by doing a good job in your work, if you're still working, in a way that serves him, in a way in which your work is not an idol, it's somehow directed towards the service of others and is done with integrity, that's a spiritual act of worship. And when you're trying to raise kids or perhaps be involved in the lives of your grandchildren or you're managing a household, that's a spiritual act of worship. I was at the Oval with my sons yesterday and we were watching the cricket. And uh, even something as you think rudimentary as playing sport can be a spiritual act of worship. You know when the umpire says not out, but you know that you nicked it and so you walk. You see, even that is a spiritual act of worship. You cook dinner, you wash up uh, after dinner for your family. That can be a spiritual act of worship. And when you come to church to hear from God and fellowship with one another and serve one another, that is also a spiritual act of worship. In response to God's great mercy in sending his son to die for us, we offer our bodies, we offer our whole lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as living sacrifices to him. That is spiritual. That is worship. And that is pleasing to God. And so the question, of course, is, are you up for that? And you're thinking, well, of course I'm up for that, at least while I'm sitting here. It sounds gallant and it sounds noble and it sounds spiritual. But it does beg the question, well, where do I start? Verse 2 says we start with a renewed mind so we can be transformed by God rather than conformed to the world. Conformed just means doing the same thing, thinking the same way as everybody else in the world. The passage says don't be conformed by the pattern of the world. Don't think that you're the most important person like most of the rest of the world does. Don't think that life is just about having as many opportunities or experiences or pleasures or comforts or achievements or as much fun for you or your family or your grandchildren like everyone else does. Don't live selfishly for yourself or just your little tribe. I mean, that is the pattern of manly, isn't it? It's pretty much how most other people live, but be transformed. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is going to be impossible for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices if we are stuck in the ways of thinking and the ways of acting as most other people in our world. We will only be able to offer our bodies, our whole lives to God in worship, if we are transformed, starting with our minds. As we let the scriptures shape our whole beings, not just hearing the words and thinking, they're mighty fine ideas. But letting those words, putting them into practice so they renew our minds, pushing us to be transformed rather than conformed. And that brings us to the bit where we talk, we start to talk practically about how to do this. So secondly for today, uh, to be living sacrifices, we need to think of ourselves with sober judgment. And if it's true that transformed, that transformation takes place in our lives, firstly by the renewing of our minds, that means we need to be thinking Christians, switched on Christians, thinking believers who want God's word to change us and renew us and grow us. And then we'll understand this will affect the way we think about ourselves. Have a look how the Apostle Paul puts it in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but... 
Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. We can't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We need to think of ourselves with sober judgment. How are you going to have a non-conforming or a transformed approach to life if we view ourselves at the very centre of our own worlds, like most other people do? How can we possibly offer all of our bodies, all of our life to God if we think of ourselves more highly than we ought? You know, a few years ago, uh, they did a survey of high school students in New South Wales. Interesting results. 96% of students thought they were in the top 50%. 20% of students thought they were in the top 1%. In other words, almost half of us think that we're smarter than we really are. And one in five of us are delusional. Now, the Bible thinks human beings are the most valuable of all creatures, right? Jesus didn't die to save dolphins. But this does remind us that we basically stink at not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. So this is a good reminder. And it leads us to thirdly. The third way this passage says we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And it's unusual, I think. And it's connected to what we've just looked at about not thinking too highly of ourselves. But it says to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, we actually offer ourselves to fellow Christians in faith-filled service. And you can see that in your Bibles from verse 4 onwards, where the Apostle says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. And we have different gifts. And then the passage goes on to say that whatever your gift is, whether that's serving, whether it's preaching and teaching, or whether it's encouragement or generosity or leadership or showing mercy, whatever it is, and that list in Romans 12 is not exhaustive, get on with it, is what he says. Don't sit back conform to the pattern of this world where you think I'm independent thanks very much I can do whatever I want without regards to the gifts and opportunities God has given me and the Christian people that he's placed me with you see that really would be a worldly pattern think about it this way God has given us grace and mercy in salvation we've already talked about that in verse one but here It says we've been given grace in terms of his empowering presence within us to serve him and others with the gifts that he has given us. In salvation, you'd be happy for me to say that he has given us all the same grace and mercy. It would be silly to say that people have different amounts of different kinds of salvation. But as we respond to his grace in salvation, he gives us more grace, the grace of spiritual gifts and opportunities, and his empowering presence with us to put them into use. And this grace is going to look different in different people. So you see in verse 3, the Apostle Paul talks about the grace given to him and the measure of faith that is given to each Christian, also in verse 3. And you can see there in verse 6, he talks about different gifts according to the grace, the different grace God gives us. He gives us gifts And he gives us his empowering presence to use those gifts according to his grace. And they are different, aren't they? Different gifts, different talents, different abilities, different opportunities, different passions, different availabilities even. So rather than thinking more highly of ourselves, 
we think about how we can put what God has given to us, his gifts, and the measure of faith to employ them into use here at St. Matthew's and elsewhere. And of course the question is, how are we going to do that at ground level? And I must say that I feel nervous about this next little section, although I don't get nervous very often. And I think that's mainly because the potential to really frustrate you, uh, well, there is real potential to frustrate you, depending on where you're at in life and with serving. You see, some of you will be serving on a number of fronts, and you might feel frustrated that you're doing all the work, and you just wish there were more people helping you out. And some of you will feel like you have something to offer, but you don't know how to get a piece of the action. There's just no obvious opportunity to, to put them into action. And some of you will be thinking, why do the staff always want us to serve? I mean, isn't that why we pay them? I mean, the ministers minister the congregations, congregate, right? Isn't that how it works? Or some of you will be feeling like at this stage of life, of just um, busy life, maybe caring for relatives, you're just at your limit. Don't ask me to do anything more, please. And so depending on how it goes, I'm probably going to frustrate some of you and If I'm having a really cracking day, maybe you'll all leave cranky, (laughs) but we'll see how it goes. Here's where I think it works, ground level. Big picture-wise, I think we'd love you to use your gifts broadly defined to include your spiritual gifts, opportunities, talents, abilities, passions, personality, to serve one another here at St. Matthew's. Love you to be involved, and we'd love you to serve where you can with joy, rather than feel guilty about what you can't do. I think the first way that we can serve one another, we can serve our church community, our spiritual family, is just by being here week by week. And perhaps, uh, you know, that's like preaching to the converted and preaching to the choir, but I always think it's uh, foolish to assume anything. You know, one of the uh, delightful things about being involved with you at St. Matthew's is there are... Tons of people involved in service. Lots of people. If you happen to be one of those people who just feels frustrated and feels like you're the only one who's doing stuff, I'd love you to know that there are literally hundreds of people involved in service here at St. Matthew's. And I really want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. It is heartwarming. Genuinely. There is a a bit of a culture at least in some of our folks, at least in some of our services, of uh, just turning up to church when you're on the roster for something and being a bit more blasé about turning up at other times. Uh, So I do want to encourage you to remember that one week on serving doesn't buy you a leave pass from coming for the next two weeks. It doesn't work that way. You know, perhaps the most important way you will serve here at St. Matthew's is by being here week by week, showing up, singing up, speaking up words of encouragement to one another. That's the first way that we serve week by week. But on top of just taking your place when and where we gather here each week, we would love you to think about areas where you'd like to get involved in family life if you're not already involved. And in a moment, uh, there's a whole bunch of possibilities that I'll mention. And I think there really is a sweet spot when it comes to service where your talents and your gifts kind of match up with your passions and your interests and also align with your needs, with the needs here, I should say. And if you can kind of find that ideal scenario, then I'd want to say go for that. 
Rick Warren, who wrote the, the best-selling Christian book behind the Bible, says, you want to think about your shape. This is what he means. S stands for spiritual gifts. H stands for your heart. In other words, your passions and interests. A stands for your abilities, your natural gifts. P is for your personality. And E is for your experience. In other words, how your past experiences might help you to minister to others. So if you can find a a spot in kind of family life here where those things combine, that sounds like a real sweet spot. And I would encourage you to be involved in that kind of place. But, you know, it won't always work out like that. Uh, Tim Keller, really insightful author uh, and church planner in New York City, this is what he says about service, and I think it's quite surprising. He says, you want to find the jobs in church that need to be done and then do them. Just serve. Don't ask too much about whether it fulfills you. You see, I thought that was really surprising. Why? Well, he says, first, the only way you'll ever really come to know the kind of ministry that you are best at is if you do a lot of different things and then you'll know what God blesses. So don't look first at your proven abilities and what your day job might have been or your natural talents to determine what you do in the church because God may not use that. Likewise, he says, don't look first at your heart, the things that excite you or interest you. If you gravitate too quickly to those areas, you may miss the latent gifts, pardon me, that you aren't aware that you have. So he says, just serve. Plug the gaps in the church and help out. Go through the door of opportunity doing what needs to be done, and then as time goes on, you can check your hearts and abilities. Very interesting way of putting it. You know, there are all these kind of spiritual gift surveys online, and there are courses you can do to discover your spiritual gifts, but it's interesting. Both uh, Dr. Tim Keller and Rick Warren, with their vast church life experience, say those things aren't that helpful. The better way is just to jump in and start serving somewhere where you can. Lots of humble service helps you to work out the kind of stuff that God blesses. It keeps the focus on others rather than you. And I've been so encouraged having conversations with people in this congregation where you have said to me, I love serving because it keeps the focus on others, not on me. But it does give us the joy of seeing others helped by our hard work. So if you're not involved here, I would just encourage you to jump in and start somewhere. Now, what if you are the kind of person and you just feel like you are battling to keep your head above water in life? We would want to say, we really don't want people drowning here. We really don't. But I would say, uh, if you feel that way, um, just make sure it's entirely accurate and it's not the case that you're just having a bad week. And then once you think through that, think, maybe there are some small ways I could be involved every now and again. Now, some of us legitimately, we just can't get involved in this particular season of life. And as I said earlier, we want you to serve with joy where you can, not feel guilty or frustrated where you can't. Some of you might be feeling like the idea of just jumping in and serving somewhere seems inadequate. I've got great passions. I've got great energies that just can't obviously seem to be channeled here at St. Matthew's. Well, I'd want to say that We want to bless, we want to encourage, we want to celebrate whenever Christians employ the gifts, talents, opportunities they have outside this fellowship. 
You know, in our church, we have people that are chairing mission boards. We have people that are involved in ministries that serve the church and the community well beyond St. Matthews. We have people that are serving in civic life in quite extraordinary ways. And we are for that. And we're interested in that. And if you tell us about that, we would love to pray for that. Because we can't do all of those things within St. Matthews. You know, we have this clearly divine vision where we want to be that church known for its love and grace and truth that's transforming lives for Jesus' glory. And we have a strategy of connecting with our community and gathering here on Sundays and growing in small groups and serving one another. So we can't focus on absolutely everything, else we focus on nothing. And so that's our vision and focus. And if you are involved in something outside that, I want to say, may God bless your efforts. But can I still humbly and gently appeal to you to take your place in family life here? Be involved in this family, even if it's not in your precise strike zone or sweet spot. Bill Hybels, who is uh, probably the other most well-known kind of American megachurch pastor, and he's the last one for the day, but he passionately says the local church is the hope of the world. He really believes it. And so I think ground-level local action has to take some kind of priority. And particularly word ministry, not to elevate any person in particular, but as we had heard from Ephesians 4 earlier, it's word ministry that builds up Christians into unity and maturity. Could you be involved in that in some particular way here at St. Matthew's? You might have a niche outside here, but I'd say, why not be a part of the ministry inside here? Because I love the local church, and I do have that overwhelming sense that as we as a local church hold out the gospel, the word of life, the only way that wayward humanity can be restored to relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it's nothing short of the hope for the world. So be a part of this local church. Serving other Christians, serving other parts of the body at our local church is a key way to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And serving with the gifts and God's empowering presence to put them into action is a key part of our spiritual worship of Him. Every vegetarian knows, don't they, that by calling themselves a vegetarian, they have some kind of commitment some kind of a response towards vegetables. There are many people who call themselves Christians who have no ambition to follow Christ or serve his people. But Romans 12 that we looked at this morning reminds us that because of all that God has done for us in Christ, we respond not just in our hearts, not just in our minds, but with our bodies. We offer our whole lives to him as living sacrifices. And we'll need not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought if we're going to do that. And faith-filled service will not just be an optional extra for only the keenest Christian. It'll be something that we're all involved with. So as I finish, let me ask that question again. What if? What if we really believe God gave us spiritual gifts and opportunities for service and ministry? God gave up Jesus' body in death. What if we gave him our bodies in life? What would our church look like if we did that? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have a brief conversation with one of our brothers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you for this reminder. We thank you that you gave up the Lord Jesus' body in death 
And we ask that you would help us to give up our lives, our bodies to you in life, serving you uh, with all that we have, not just with our hearts, not just with our minds, but with all of our lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That might be our spiritual act of worship to you and to one another. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen.